Welcome to Grin and Parrot, a couple of teacher friends talking about educational trends and how they intersect with your day-to-day -day experience. Today is December 7th, 2015. I'm Kathy Barth. And I'm Paige Polseen. And today our main topic of discussion is going to be inquiry-based learning or teaching. And I have a couple of questions. I don't know what you've been thinking about this, Kathy, but one thing that keeps coming up to me is what's the difference between inquiry-based learning and problem or project-based learning? Because they both seem to be out and about, and even project-based learning or problem-based learning seems to be really the more popular method out there, at least in my at my school. So what are you thinking? Well, I think that there's a lot of overlap. I think people mean the same thing when they use those terms a lot of the time. I was doing some research on this too and just doing some reading and found a really good article that tried to answer exactly that question. It talked about the complexity of the tasks being the main difference um, and the idea that either project-based learning or inquiry-based learning had to have authentic problems to, to investigate and how the students need to know, well, it answers that age-old question of why do I need to know this? Right. You know? So they divided it into several different areas just in the course of looking at the research that had been done about it, the people who wrote this particular article. Um, and, and they basically decided, and I am tending to agree with this as I think about it, that um, to be considered a project-based learning experience um, or an inquiry-based learning experience used interchangeably, that the projects have to be central to the curriculum, not just an add-on project. Right. The projects have to be focused on questions or problems that drive the students to encounter central concepts and struggle with them. Mm -hmm. They have to involve students in a constructive investigation. And um, to some significant degree, they're student-driven not something handed to them by right. the teacher, like a chemistry lab or mm -hmm. something. And the projects are realistic and not school-like. They have real-world applications. Absolutely. Right. And this is one thing that really kind of struck me as I was thinking about this is I think one maybe fundamental difference between inquiry-based learning and mm -hmm. project or problem-based learning is that inquiry-based learning is supposed to be really rooted in the specific questions that the students have. Whereas that my experience sense. with problem-based learning has been teachers creating a really good driving question right. that makes a lot of sense and that interacts with the real world and all of that, but it's really teacher-generated. Mm -hmm. And maybe giving students choices to you know, so that they have control in their own learning, but not really being driven by the specific questions that the students have. So you're saying that the difference then is that you by using the term inquiry rather than problem, inquiry-based, you're saying that that is generated by the student. I think so, certainly with guidance, mm -hmm. obviously. But and And this may be just my take on it, although I found an interesting website, Concept to Classroom, oh. will... We'll add the link in somewhere on our, on the podcast page, but that the context for inquiry comes from the students' own driving questions and that the teacher then helps the students to generate those questions 
and then helps them to find the answers to those questions, which is why I think inquiry-based learning has always been of interest to me because that, mm-hmm. this is kind of the way we did it when we were homeschooling right. our kids, that we what we worked on, what we studied was based on what the kids were interested in at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and what kinds of questions they had. And so... So now my next concern, and I, I don't have any answers to this, is how do we really, to me, it's kind of easier to bring problem-based learning into a traditional classroom because mm-hmm. it is still more teacher-driven. Right. But how do we make things more student-driven in a traditional classroom? I think that's, that is the crux of it, of the difficult question, because our classrooms aren't necessarily set up to make this easy. And I think our students aren't prepared for it. Like, they don't really know how to ask questions. Right. So we have to not only help them generate their own questions, but we have to help them figure out what questions are even. Well, and we have to teach them the joy of the process, too, mm-hmm. because they're so used, they're so accustomed to, to just hearing the information and regurgitating it or working with it in some way that it seems like a lot of work. Yes. All of a sudden to be responsible for your own learning. Yes. Which is why this I, this one uh, piece of research I found really interesting that inquiry-based learning or in, inquiry-based teaching methods, which this particular resource put all of these together, inquiry-based mm-hmm. and problem-based mm-hmm. and, and project-based, which I think they really are used almost interchangeably in the educational world today. But what was interesting was this one particular research found that it definitely created better outcomes for our lower functioning students. Mm-hmm. It created better outcome, outcomes for our sort of mid-range students, but not necessarily better outcomes for our higher level oh. students. And I've been pondering that, like, why is that? Sure. And, and isn't that, doesn't mean there's something wrong with the system. Right. But what occurred to me is I wonder if maybe some of that is because what we already consider our higher functioning students are the students who really fit well with a traditional sort of educational experience. Well, they where are the they... ones that figure out the game right away. Exactly. And figure out how to please the teacher and their parents and all of those right. things. Right. And, well, and not just figuring out the game, but maybe they're really good at memorizing those details. Right. And maybe they're really good at taking tests. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. not so happy at having to collaborate with... Well, it's more work for them, Right. <laughs> They have to collaborate with other people. They have to come up with the questions by themselves. Yes. They have to come up with the the line of inquiry and the experiment. <laughs> and then they have to do a project to explain the whole thing. I actually had a student <laughs> tell me, very recently, I had a student tell me, I shouldn't have to work with these other students. I'm just too smart. <laughs> and that was exactly my response. It made me laugh. <laughs> but... What then, so I, so I wondered about that whole outcome question. And for students like that, I feel like they may not be learning quote unquote course material as effectively as they would if they were working on it on their own or in right. a more traditional way. But what they're learning then is could be just as value, valuable. And this is what right. I saw in this student who, who made this comment to me, that when they are required then to work in community with their classmates, even the ones that they don't perceive as intelligent as they are, they are learning a whole different set of skills. That's true. Which is something that you brought up before we started recording was that whole idea of adult, mm-hmm. what, what was it? Adult skills, adult. Oh, adult. Um, oh gosh. I'm trying to remember how I, how I put that. Um, 
Basically, it was about learning. Just adult, learning incorporating and, adult skills. That's part of when you take on a, a problem-based or inquiry-based project. One of the things you're learning are adult skills. If you go to a workplace, you have to figure out how to solve a problem, and you might have to present it, mm-hmm. your results, to your coworkers or your boss or someone. Mm-hmm. And you have to work with other people and to do that. And you have to work with other people. So these are very real-world adult-level skills. Mm-hmm. So I feel like even for my kids who might learn the information uh-huh. more readily in right. a different format are learning skills that are going to take them. And this is, I mean, I really look at a student who is used to working completely independently and thinks that that's the only way to do it. They are not going to function as well as they could out in the real world right. until they learn how to collaborate with right. their coworkers or their fellow students. So so this just feeds right into a question of what are we wanting to teach our kids? Are we wanting them to just learn a timeline for history or you know a, how to make a science project, <laughs> you know, or are we teaching them the skills that they need for dealing with the real world? Right, right. So for me, that's really one of the main benefits mm-hmm. of doing this type of of educational format. But then, so let me lead into my next question or concern, which is what do we think of the teacher's role for uh, this type of learning? Right. Because this is where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to really implement some of this with my new classroom mm-hmm. experience and how it can be really difficult. Well, not only are the students comfortable with the way education has been handled, but the teachers are too. Right. There's this, you know, we have, I don't know, a couple generations at least of teachers who now have only thought to really teach one way. They've been told to teach a certain way. Right. And that is be the font of all wisdom and have your underlings <laughs> repeat after you. Yes. So they can so they can do well on a test. So they can well pass a test, a test mm-hmm. and do well, right? And mm-hmm. and get that score. Right. And uh, and yes, kids still have to take tests. There's no there's no way around that. We have to be able to assess how people do. But I agree. This is kind of a new frontier and it's a lot of work for teachers. Mm-hmm. But I think that back to that question of what the role is, it's a lot of work to, for teachers to re-envision how they're doing things. The actual work that's going on while the students are engaged is different because I think teachers become facilitators. It's more like a master-apprentice type of deal. Absolutely. Oh, I love that imagery. And, that, and that's one of the difficult things is teachers having to let go mm-hmm. and really allow the students in some some cases, really allowing the students to bomb even mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and and provide support, but not necessarily answers, and that can be tough for some teachers because we want to swoop in and make things better, right? But what I found is that for me, the, a lot of the teacher work is sort of front loaded. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. maybe gathering, it's not less work it's definitely not less work <laughs> it's and it's not less stress that's for sure right. but it's more fun sure it's definitely more fun but you know starting out with that set of resources for your students mm-hmm. or general guidelines or whatever and then handing it over and giving the students then control of what happens next so that 
you're there sort of a lifeguard or a facilitator or what was right. it you said, a master, master apprentice. apprentice. Yeah, so that <laughs> you're there for support and for answering questions mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of process, but not necessarily giving students answers. And so I feel like it's kind of a, it's a learning curve for all of us. Sure. But I really feel like this kind of methodology really fits with Common Core. At I least, think so, too. At least in my field, in English, but I think also in in other areas, because a large part of Common Core is that real-world learning, college and career readiness. That's what Common Core is all about. Right. Getting the kids ready for what happens after they leave our classroom is right. at least right. as important as providing them with that factual material that we feel like they need, mm-hmm. whether they know who won the Civil War. Right. <laughs> But, uh, well, and, and I agree that's, that is the purpose that would be the main driving purpose I would have and that I have for using this in an educational setting is this is great, great preparation for being able to, to go and solve a problem that they really have without, you know, in some sense, manufacturing it or coming up with it mm-hmm. in a classroom setting, mm-hmm. but in their life, right. in their world, which is something we all do every day right? without thinking about it so much. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so thumbs up for problem-based learning? Thumbs up. Inquiry-based thumbs learning? Up. Yeah, I, two I thumbs way up. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, we want to talk a little bit about current events within our podcast. And I know the violence that took place in San Bernardino, California last week is weighing heavily on us. Um, page. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about this for a couple of reasons. Of course, we're here in the Inland Empire, very close to San Bernardino. This is an area where both of us are either driving by or, I mean, we're, Mm -hmm. this is, this is in our backyard. I know people who work there. Right. And, and Uh none of us, and nobody that I've talked to in the last week has not had some story where they're, you know, two two or three or four degrees, you know, Mm -hmm. separated from someone whose life was completely altered on that day. And, but, but what really, I mean, it's all, it's, it's all just horrendous to think about, but what struck me and what made me think how this fits with what we're talking about is at the time, my husband is also a teacher and his school is three miles from where the shooting took place. Mm. They were on lockdown all afternoon that Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. My school, 10 miles up the road, was on lockdown. Mm -hmm. Something like 92 schools were on lockdown that day. And it just brings to mind how... I mean, what a real concern Mm -hmm. this kind of shooting is for schools. And... And for teachers, and I, I, you know, all, all these numbers have been have been bandied about in social media about the number of mass shootings in the last year and how they, you know, there have been more mass shootings than days in the year and all of that and and I know that some of those numbers are inflated, sure, but it's still it it's still really concerns me and clearly an issue and a right problem. and I and this article in Newsweek on October first talking about the shooting at Umqua Community College oh, in Roseburg, uh-huh. Oregon, which, of course, 
scared me because I what I hear is college in Oregon, and that's and where my child is going exactly. to college, and you, you start <laughs> thinking about it, right? And that Umpqua Community College shooting was the 45th school shooting in the oh, wow. in the year in the current up to 274 days at that point 45 school shootings in our country wow now obviously that spreads out quite a bit we've got i don't know how many schools country. we've got lots of schools <laughs> but that's one school shooting for every 6 days of this year yeah. And this also, for me, is coming right off the, the week before we had an active shooter training. And just the fact that as teachers, we have to go to something called an active shooter training right? right. in which we have to prepare for how we are going to protect ourselves and our students if someone yes. comes onto our campus and starts shooting people. Right. And I think that how many of us came into this profession with sort of the assumption that we might have to put our life on the line to protect ourselves and our students during our workday. You know, I mean, when people become firefighters or police right. officers, then it's that's... kind of a given part of what you're signing exactly. up for. Exactly. And I'm not. But when you in... think of time in your classroom, you're right. not really thinking about being locked in with all of your students for an indefinite amount of time, ready to face off with someone. Right. Yeah, and that's what's been heavy heavy on my mind mm-hmm. this last week that there's it's just a huge amount of stress mm-hmm. and the fact that we live in a world right where this has become commonplace just concerns me and I'm and I I don't think we necessarily have any answer to it although and I don't necessarily want to get into sort of the gun control questions but but just as teachers, how do we deal with that kind of stress? How do we deal with that understanding that we could very well lose our lives in defending the lives of our children? And how does it affect our students? Right. That they but, know they could be going also, to school and putting their right. life on the line. It's, but I'm also reminded just to... I'm also reminded that when I was in elementary school, we did nuclear holocaust drills. Yes, this is <laughs> right? exactly what <laughs> Where we got under our desks right. and held on to a leg right. and covered the back of our neck. And then right. that segued into earthquake drills. It sure. was no longer for a, a nuclear threat. Right. But... An earthquake drill. Right. And and kids still do that. Oh, absolutely. And fire so drills. Yeah. We do make want to make sure that we are prepared, even though I can only think of a couple of times that I've actually had to go under a desk in a classroom mm-hmm. for a real reason. Right. Oh. Right. But to me there's a difference. So yeah, I did there make that connection but, with the uh-huh. whole nuclear stuff and right. that whole generation of people having right. to think that at any moment, our our whole world might be blown right. away. But, you know, I think there's a difference between worrying that, that feels a, a person more could come than shoot an actual us. person coming onto yeah. your campus. Well, well, I think nuclear drills, first active shooter drills, are more similar than, like, natural disaster mm-hmm, drills or fire mm-hmm. drills or something. But anyway, I don't really have any answers. I just thought we should touch on it and think about... You know what? What should expectations be for teachers, and and how do we support each other in that kind of right thinking or that kind of stress? I don't know. I don't right. have any answers. Well, it does feel like something we need to talk about. So, 
um, maybe we'll have some people listening that are interested in continuing the conversation and we can explore it more. Yeah, I, I kind of, I would like us to do that just to maybe revisit every now and then mm-hmm. and think about. Mm-hmm. Because these are, and these are exactly the kinds of things though that I think we do want to address on the podcast. The stuff that doesn't have anything to do with our teaching. Right. And it doesn't, right. ha- you know, doesn't have anything to do with how we organize our classroom or what we do with our students on right. a regular basis. The best way to handle paperwork. Right. <laughs> Um, but this is something that's now, at least for me, always going to be in the back of my mind, right. at least until things well, settle down. I don't know. Hit awfully close to home. It sure did. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for talking about it. I'm happy to. So let's do a teacher shout out. Yay! <laughs> let's, let's, let's turn positive. <laughs> so. You have somebody you'd like to say hi to? Oh, of course I do. Okay. I um, I love all my teacher friends. But for this inaugural podcast, I yes. want to shout out to my husband, Brad, who is a sixth grade teacher and has been teaching for many years now and just has had a tough time this year. And he just gets up every day and keeps... And keeps keeps going in. He keeps going in. And what he keeps trying to tell himself, and which is such a good lesson for me, is that... He's teaching for those kids who want to be there. He's mm-hmm. teaching for those kids who want to learn. Right. And and everything else is bringing tons of stress, but he keeps telling himself, I'm here for the kids who want to be here. And they need him. And they, they need, him. need him. So yeah. shout out to my awesome husband. Wow. Brad. That's great. Yay. My shout out today is to a teacher I had when I was in elementary school, Mrs. Alexich. I have no idea where you are. <laughs> I haven't seen you in decades. I'm not going to reveal exactly how long it's been, but I haven't seen you in quite a while. Um, but you came to mind when we were talking about uh, exploring this topic of inquiry-based learning because you used inquiry-based learning in your pull-out program after school, and I really enjoyed it, and it kept me so engaged and just really gave me a lot to think about. And really, I still think about things we did in that classroom in, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth grade. So thank you very much, much, uh, Mrs. Alexich. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, well, that's it for Grin and Parrot today. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time when you might hear Kathy say, Did you wash your hands first? <laughs>